Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to South Beach Sessions. We've been talking a lot in recent months about mental health and mental health in sports. And Marty Fish has been a leader and vocal and pioneering about talking about his vulnerabilities in this space. But I wanted to talk to him more than that about the culture of tennis and the things that make an athlete great and arrive at such a pressurized point that they arrive at the match of their dreams and it's even possible to short circuit and need permission from the people who love you to simply take care of yourself because when you come up through the pipeline in sports that's this devoted and this crazed, you get brainwashed. And so I wanted to talk to Marty Fish about what it takes to be the best American tennis player and what it takes to be in a match against Roger Federer and what it takes to be great in sports and what happens when your mind just doesn't help you take the last step after being that kind of obsessive compulsive. So here is a deep dive look into the mind of an athlete. Here's Marty Fish. Marty, as great as the untold breaking point story was told on Netflix, and I thought it really got into uh, your head and put us there to feel what it feels like to have pressure cave in on you and what it feels like to go to a dark place. I think the film did an extraordinary job of showing us that. I wanted them to go deeper, though, on sort of what tennis did to you. And they did plenty of it at the start of it. But just the culture of tennis, the loneliness, the giving young people a goal that's that rigid and sort of bringing them through a brainwashed factory of how do we get to the top of American sports through the country club. I wanted that explored more in-depthly because how could that not have imprinted you to have come through that pressurized pipeline? But thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story there. And thank you for continuing to ask questions, answer questions about this because I, I imagine you feel like you're doing a public good, letting people a little bit close to, look, this is what the real stuff looks like and this is how it can damage a human being. And a human being has to be really strong to overcome some of it. Yeah, totally. And thank you for having me. As you know, I'm a big fan of the show. So, so yeah, I mean, look, I mean, tennis is, is, you know, the ultimate individual sport. Um, it's the only, you know, major sport. I only sort of think of like a marathon runner or maybe even a tour de France, uh, you know, or a bicyclist, you know, kind of thing where they, where it's the only one where you leave the locker room, you're all by yourself. Like, so you have to figure out, 
Um, you don't have to beat the entire draw that day, but you have to beat the person across the net. And it's not a, a you know, it's a non-contact sport clearly, but it's a gladiator-ish type sport, right? Like you enter the arena and one leaves the winner and one leaves the loser. And, um, it, you know, growing up in terms of like, learning that that sort of mental side of the game i'm i've always been a huge fan of the mental side of sports i haven't been like the perfect mental athlete for sure like i I didn't know how to handle negative stress very well and like you know like when when negative things would happen on the court i would try and deflect or whatever and it was never my fault you know and uh and and so you know but we're, we're trained at such a young age to to you know, never show weakness, never show that you're tired, never show, um, the, the opponent, um, uh, that, that you're not feeling well or you're hurting or you're nervous or, or anything like that. So at a young age, like I'm talking like, you know, when you start, um, and, and, and so it's try and beat that one person across the net that one time. And Oh, by the way, do it all by yourself. Um, when you're out there, clearly you can have people tell you what, you know, what they think, uh, beforehand, but, but try, try and do it all by yourself. Um, uh, try and problem solve all by yourself from a, you know, a 10 year old kid all the way up to a, you know, 35 year old or however old you play. Um, and, and, and it starts at a really young age, you know, I mean, like there, there aren't there's very few people that, that go to college, um, and play, you know, multiple years in, in collegiate tennis um and still make it at, to, at a high level um and and so we realize at an early age that um time is limited um even though again it's not a contact sport it's this is not football we're not you know this is not the ufc or mixed martial arts this is but but you're you're entering that uh, sort of arena um and and just trying to beat one person um a lot of it as well is like in, in terms of tennis specifically, there's a ton of losing involved in tennis, right? Like obviously only one person wins every week and win, you know, can win the tournament. But I mean, even, even if you win a match, um, people don't necessarily understand that like you, you win a match, let's say six, four, six, four, which, you know, and the, you win straight sets and it's a fairly straightforward match and a straightforward win. If you look at the stats you probably won 51 to 52 percent of the points it means you lost 49 48 percent of the time it's a lot of losing um to sort of figure out and have to compartmentalize and 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 understand and you know as like young kids like i've got a seven-year-old son when he you know he plays a lot of golf and when he doesn't make you know get in the top five and get a medal he cries this is sort of the society that we're that is kind of ingrained in us and tennis, you, you can't afford that. You have to figure out how to lose at a really early age to try and perform as best you can. The thing that I would say about your imprinting though, because I imagine you wanted to tell untold to show people the most vulnerable side of you. And so they could see everything, the mental strength required and how it is that you can short circuit because the pressure of it, of that loneliness can be so much. I believe that the brainwashed cult of tennis devouring its young, you were great at it. You were as good as anyone in this country at it. And I believe that it devoured you by grabbing you at such a young age with sort of military principles that you had to be OCD about, I've got to be great for 15 years. And you can't in that sport because it burns through people your age. 
Yeah. And there's nothing, you know, another thing too, about like, you know, team sports as opposed to an individual sport is uh, there's nothing guaranteed, right? Like we don't have guaranteed contracts where we go out and like, Oh, you know, we can take today off or, you know, we can call timeouts and someone else can come in for us. Um, if we lose, we we're done um, that week and we have to pay for our expenses. We have to pay for our coaches expenses, um, our trainers expenses, food, travel, hotel, everything. Um, so, you know, and there's not a, you know, unless you're in the top sort of 10 to 15 in the world, um, consistently, it's really difficult to make, you know, real money where, where actual athletes, you know, where these, you know, other team sport athletes do. So like, I'm, I'm always envious of team sport. Um, I've been really lucky to meet a lot of really interesting, cool athletes over the years. And a lot of them in team sports that just are so lucky that they, that, that, you know, they can go out and perform and lose and still make the exact same money. You know, they, I'm sure they're, they hate losing, you know, like everyone else does. Um, um, but, but they still make the same. And, and so there's, you know, so that there's a, there's a huge weight on your shoulders of early on trying to, um, you know, who are you playing for? You're obviously playing for yourself. Then you're playing for your parents. I was extremely lucky with my parents. Um, the, the tennis parents are the craziest parents out there in any sport. I put that up against anyone. And I've seen some, some, some pretty crazy. I've got, again, I've got young kids now. And like we see at a young age, like man, these parents are pretty, pretty but, nuts. But Marty, they're, they're running a cult, are they not? And I don't, I mean, look at the culture of the sport is you take these kids and you mine them and, and you can love them and everything else, but you're mining them over a short period of time, as quickly as you can burning through the loneliness of professional sports and ambition to get to the money where you're fighting all these other parents for money. Correct. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and, you know, at, at, in junior tennis, it's, it's gnarly. I mean, it is, there's tons of cheating, tons of, you know, you call your own lines when you're 13, 14 years old. Uh, it, it's a really difficult way to do it at a high level. Look, it, it, is it, is it an incredible tool uh, to use for an education? Absolutely. Like if you're, you know, if you're, a female tennis player growing up, they have nine full scholarships on every female tennis team collegiately. Phenomenal way to, to use it as a tool for an education. Phenomenal way to learn how to compete on your own. But incredible way to stay fit, um, a, a, a game that you can play for years and years and years. However, at an at a extremely high level, the pressure and stress and, and mental pressure and stress that you're put on at such a young age, um, you know, can, can of course weigh on you. Now the, the, the documentary, you mentioned documentary and it came out um, maybe a month and a half ago or so. Um, and, and I've had not, not hundreds of direct messages on my Twitter, thousands and thousands of, of, of messages, right? Like just, you know, just saying thank you or appreciative of, of watching it. What a great doc or this saved my life or, or man, I felt that same, um, you know, sort of thing in my daily thing, but, oh, by the way, I, I don't, you know, I didn't do it in front of, you know, the world or the sports world or whatever it is. I've had A-list actors and actresses reach out um, through that medium as well, all the way to uh, the, the most people that have reached out um, are female tennis players, American 
um, non-American people that I've met, people that I've never heard of, but say I have um, to, to be nice and, and to write back and respond. And, and those are the ones that I'll get on the phone with and actually talk and, and talk through um, understanding their world, understanding the life that they lived and they grew up with is helpful, I hope, I think. Um, and the reason why I was so open about doing this was A, it always made me feel better when I talked about it, when I talked about my mental health, just sort of how I felt, um, how it made me feel, um, things like that just made me just sort of lifted a weight off my shoulders a bit when I was open and vulnerable. Took me a while to get comfortable and get to that point. But once I was, it was comfortable. Um, and then uh, I'm a huge sports fan and sports has been my whole life um, growing up. And, and so I didn't have a success story to lean on when I was going through this. I didn't have a history of mental health. No one around me had a history of mental health. So I didn't know anything. I was highly uneducated on mental health um, and, and coming out with it. It gives people who are sports fans, maybe, or, or now this documentary, just Netflix fans, maybe that, um, that they're not alone and that, that they can get out of it. They can get out of the deepest, darkest sort of holes in their mental health and, and, and come out on the other side and thrive and, and, and not only come out um, and get back to their job, whatever that job is, because mental health doesn't care what you do for a living. You could talk sports on the radio or you could play professional tennis. It does. I can promise you, it doesn't care. Everyone's world and everyone's bubble is their own and, 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 and everyone has their own expectations for themselves um, their own pressures to, to perform and to come to, to uh, provide. Um, and, and so, and so uh, well, I wanted to be a success story. I wanted to be like that one there were the, you know, that, that person where they're like, yeah, I remember that guy, Marty fish. Oh yeah. Maybe heard of him. Maybe not, but, but, you know, maybe do a little Googling and, and you'll see that like, he was a pretty good tennis player, I guess, but look what he went through and look where he came out on the other side. Um, and maybe, maybe I can do that as well. Well, but more than pretty good. Hold on a second. Let's backtrack for a second. For, for those who have not seen the documentary and untold hasn't done anything poorly, everything that they've made so far, the stories have connected and, and reached you. And in this one, your humanity shines. So going back to the beginning, the idea that you would be taught at an early age to repress all of this, to push it all down, don't show anybody anything in the lonely sport, you solve your own problems, for you to then say, wow, here's the, the relief in telling people about what my problem was. And here's my problem. My problem is that I'm extraordinarily mentally strong. However, I'm rooming with Andy Roddick, and he's slightly better at this than I am. But we're the best in the country, but that makes me feel a little bit perhaps like a loser. Now I'm headed to, uh, because of the standards, where the standards are, and I don't know that this thing that's living in my home, oh, this is an American tennis great, but he's also a disappointment because he didn't win enough because the guys he's playing against are three of the best of, of all time or two of the best of all time, and he's got no chance. So now you get to a match with Roger Federer. You have honed everything about your mental strength. You are extraordinarily mentally strong. This is the place you've been working to get all your life. You feel weak because you can't be strong enough to meet your moment, your dreams. And now this extraordinarily strong person, Marty Fish, is made to feel like he is a loser or a coward or weak because he can't summon the strength to play a, a robot. To play a robot who's better than everyone in the history of the sport. Yeah, and I, ironically, um, you know, and that that as that sort of story goes, and that part of it, um, driving to the courts that day um, to the to Arthur Ashe Stadium to 
you know, one of the biggest matches of my life, uh, the place that the place that I wanted to be, the place that I worked and sacrificed so hard my, you know, my whole life, really. And I had played Roger before I'd played him at the center court of Wimbledon and played him in finals of big events and stuff. But the U.S. Open is special. The U.S. Open on Labor Day is special. The U.S. Open, you know, it was back when Dickie Emberg was, you know, had the call on CBS, you know, that you remember. And, and it was just a I remember watching as a kid like that was the that was, those were the matches that I remember most watching as a fan as a kid and and so being able to play in that it was a dream come true clearly um driving to the courts that day I'm thinking like how am I going to do this how am I going to do this and thank god um and it's one of the main things that that I feel like is most important in getting a handle on your mental health is a support system around you Thank God my wife was there because she didn't grow up in the, in my world. She didn't grow up in, the, in a sports world at all. Um, so so her saying, um, hey, you don't have to play in the car when we're there, never would have crossed my mind ever in, in my wildest dreams. Like so. So if she wasn't there, I would have gone out, would have gone to the courts. I would have gotten ready somehow. Um, I would have you know, lost, I'm sure. But I don't ex- know. Explain to people where you were mentally at the time, where she's giving you the option. You are in a dark place where you can't stop a panic attack. Basically, you're going to try and play through a panic attack because you're a tennis player and a soldier, and you're going to lose, but you're going to be suffering for the next three hours at what should be your dreams. Totally. Um, yeah, anxiety and panic, um, just, you know, every sort of, you just can't get rid of the anxiety, the severe anxiety of, of the thought of getting out there, um, the, the, you know, the, the sort of panic attacks every 30 minute kind of things, you know, it had manifested through that summer uh, and, and come to a head at the U.S. Open, which is, you know, again, the culmination of the summer, the biggest tournament of the year, biggest tournament for the Americans. Um uh, for sure. And, and, you know, most everyone. So um, deep into an event, you're playing the, you know, at the time, the greatest player of all time and and someone you've come up with, but look up to, and, you know, obviously watched win plenty of slams. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm in the car and I'm on the, I'm on the way and I'm, I'm crying in the car and I'm not a crier at all. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to play, um, but I'm going to play because like, why would, that's what I do. I, I don't not play my wife being there and having the support system that I had my wife being there and not being in that world, not understanding um, how I was trained growing up to never quit, never um, show weakness, never show fear for her to say, you don't have to play. And then like literally half a millisecond later, feeling this like weight lifted off my shoulders and going, wow, you know what? I don't actually have to play. Now I've pulled out of tournaments and matches because of injuries, um, but never, you know, for something that no one could see. I'm a firm believer that mental health is physical. I mean, it's your brain, which is part of your body. Um, serotonin, a chemical in your brain just empties. And so I, I'm a firm believer that it's, it's, it is called mental health, but it's certainly physical. Um, it's part of your body and and part of your mind and, 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 and that is part of your body, in my opinion. So it's just an injury that you can't see. It's, you know, you can see my ankle injury cause I'm limping around. Um, and you can see why I pull out of a match because of that or a hamstring injury that's taped up and whatever, but you can't see my mental health or my, my panic attacks going on while they're happening. And, and, and that's why, well, that's why mental health is so dangerous. That's why it's so 
important um, to to get a hold of, um, and and certainly why uh, in this case that if my wife wasn't there, I would have tried. I would have certainly tried. I didn't. I wasn't trained to know any different. You won while having one, correct? And don't even remember winning. It was just sort of the probably the muscle memory and just the decade of like, you just go out there and you hit balls. You, you won a match while having a panic attack, correct? Yeah. The only, the only place of comfort that I had that summer was on the tennis court. Um, it was, uh, I had a lot to think about. I had plenty to, to worry about and, and, and figure out on the other side of the court. And even in practice, I felt fine off the court. I knew that I wasn't going to feel great and whatever is what it was, what it was. And I, was going to figure it out after the U.S. Open. That was uh, kind of the goal. It was to figure it out after this tournament. So in the third round, I played a long uh, night match and looked at the clock. And you know, we're in the fourth set. The next thing you know, it's you know one thirty in the morning, and I I start going through my head all the things that I need to do to uh, you know prepare for the next day or the next match. And it is to stretch, to eat, to do media, to do physical therapy. Um, I I do. Uh, massage three hours every day back then I did um, every single day. So like I would, you know, so like here I am thinking one 30 in the morning, I'm still in the middle of a fourth set. And, and, and I'm thinking about like, how am I going to get through the next morning? You know, because, um, because, you know, I knew that, you know, even if you don't drink, you have a hangover. If you go to bed at four in the morning, like you just don't feel well, you wake up and like, I knew I wasn't going to feel well. And so that's what I started thinking it was snowball. And then next thing I know, I'm, I'm done with the match and asking my friend, Justin Gimmelstab, who's doing the commentary or doing the post game post match interview on the court um, to please hurry. That was the only thing I remember. And like tennis players, like we're, we vividly remember as I'm sure you do with your job and like interviews that you've done. And we vividly remember matches because that's our job. Like that's what we do. Um, I don't remember anything in the fourth set of that match. Nothing. Uh, all I remember is telling him to hurry, which he was like, okay, uh, I guess, yeah, it's one in the morning. I'll, I guess I'll hurry. Um, and, and he has no idea what I'm doing. And, and all I'm trying to do is run off the court and get on, get into the doctor's sort of, uh, medical area underneath in the locker room so they could hook me up to an EKG unit. So I could make sure and know for a fact that my heart was okay and that my heart was beating fine and that um, and that uh, that was the only thing that was going to make me come out of this panic anxiety attack. Um, and, and so I laid there for an hour with an EKG unit on, which had no bearing on my health whatsoever. Um, I was totally fine. Um, and I knew that. But I also knew that if I could just hook this thing up, and know that the numbers are right there and somebody's checking on me that I'm going to be okay and that I could get to the next day. And that was all I was trying to do during that time was just get to the next day. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. 
To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Is your perspective that tennis sort of did this to you? Because it sounds from where I'm sitting like tennis just sort of catching up to you. That the OCD and the competitiveness of so many years becomes like, you're just, when do I get to the next three-hour massage? When do I get to the next ambition? No time to enjoy anything. No time to have any feelings. Lonely, solve problems. I'm falling behind. And then you just short circuit. Like you're getting to your dreams and they're not what you imagined they would be. Yeah, I mean, I jump into things. I have that personality where I jump into things and I go a hundred million percent, right? Like, like, you know, if I got into radio, I would go and I would study and study like, I'm like right now I'm into mixed martial arts. And so I'm like practicing Muay Thai and kickboxing and jujitsu. I'm obsessed with it. I do it every day. Compulsive. I must be excellent and unforgiving, yes. like just the tennis, the tennis training, right? And I'm old now and I'm like, and I, and I'm in, in terms of like my body feels old. Um, and, and so like, I'm slower than I used to be and I'm not as good as I, <laughs> you're as 39, I Marty, you're 30, you're 39, but you burnt through your body because this, this, this thing is deeply unhealthy and it didn't seem like to, it made you very happy either. Look, it, I had an awesome life. Um, clearly I traveled the world. I played a game. I, I met my wife while playing tennis. I, I have some amazing things. I've, I've met some amazing people over the years that only I would have only met because of this sport. So it's not all bad. It has its major issues internally um, and individually. And, you know, again, like most tennis players are obsessive, right? Like you, you, you can't be, it's one of those sports where, where, you have to be good at your craft like every other sport. You have to be mentally tough, incredibly mentally tough, basically like every other sport as well. And then and then you have to be uh, uh, physically as fit as you are as good at what you do. Um, and, and so like there's three things there that are that are brutally hard to do. Um, you know, you look at like golf, for instance, and golf is a um, golf is a sport where. You have to be great at your craft and incredibly mentally tough, right? But there's no physical side of golf at all. Um, you you know, I've, I've played plenty of rounds of golf where I've had a couple cheeseburgers and a bunch of beers and played the best round of my life, you know, kind of thing. So, like, golf, golf is, seems pretty fun in that, in that regard. Um, tennis, you have to work just as hard off the court as you do on the court. So there's really no time. And then you have to take care of your body. And then there's really no time to – to do anything else. Remember again that I, you know, and I mentioned this in the beginning, like nothing's guaranteed. So we can't like just say, oh, you know, I'll do, you know, I'll skip uh, fitness today or I'll skip my uh, massage, massage today, taking care of my body because like I got teammates, you know, or I've guaranteed money and, and whatever. And like, you can't do that. And so it is, 
I, I you know, I, I'm biased, but I, I think it's the hardest sport in the world. Um, but all the great, for, for all, the, all the greats are weird, right? And I say this, I don't even try to say it judgmentally. Like, just how can you be better? Like, you were pretty goddamn great at this, and you had to dedicate yourself the whole of your being. And now there are a handful of people who are are better than you for whatever the reasons are they're, that that they're better than you. But they get the top of this ecosystem, and you're you know top twenty, top one percent of top one percent under any condition of the people doing this. Nadal and Federer and Djokovic, those people are crazy, right? They have to be, and and I don't, I don't even mean, I don't mean it judgmentally. I mean you can't be great at that and be normal, can you? Yeah, I mean, look, Roger is so unique. You know, I can break down each one of those guys, right? Like Roger Federer is so unique in a way. I'll give you a quick story about him. Like he's from Basel in Switzerland, and there's a tournament in Basel uh, uh, at the end of the year. Um, I, I come down and uh, and go to uh, breakfast in the morning, just in the lobby, like everybody else, uh, every other tennis player, peon, whatever. And and Roger's down there eating breakfast. And I sit down and I go, dude, what are you doing here? Like, don't you live here? And he goes, yeah, but I like to uh, I like to stay in hotels um, uh, during tournaments and stuff like that. So like I, you know, he loves the life. He loves traveling. He loves traveling with his family. He loves the hotel life and that whole situation. Um, uh, Nadal is is different in a way that um, he he is incredibly intense. Um, it is it is tennis training, tennis training, 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 training all the time. Um, so he's um, incredibly unique. That that um, I'd be shocked if he didn't have some sort of mental sort of issues that he uh, has either figured out has, has gotten to, to understand early in his career. Um, he was a young phenom. I mean, I remember watching him when he was 14 years old in, in Hamburg, Germany going like, Oh man, this guy's a real problem. Um, it's going to be a real problem for a long time. Um, uh, Djokovic is, is a guy where he comes from a, a war torn, uh, uh, country that, um, that, you know, is literally playing initially for, for, to put food on the table. I didn't grow up like that. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up super wealthy. My, my parents did, re, you know, my dad was a teaching pro. He taught tennis. He was phenomenal at it, but we didn't have millions of dollars to, to, to do. He had to take out a second mortgage on his house just to pay for my junior tennis career. Um, so I, I again, like I, I was really lucky with my support system, my entire career and still came out like this. You don't know, you know, we, we look at some of the females that have come out, Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, you know, we know, you know, the, the, the nasty things that Simone has had to deal with in her life, clearly um, with that U S gymnastics stuff, Naomi, I know her well, but, but I don't know her family dynamic. I don't know what, what her boyfriend and her relationship is like, and nobody does. And, and for people to, to sort of look at her situation and sort of go, oh, well, she doesn't want to talk to the media at the French Open, so she just pulled out of the event. You know, Naomi is a person that understands the history of tennis, understands her place in history, wants to be the best, one of the best female tennis players ever. She understands that. And so for her to just pull out of a, a Grand Slam where she had won the previous two and going for three in a row, she never won the French before, you know, trending towards number one in the world again. Um, and just to pull out um, and, and people to just sort of say half the half the, the country is like, oh, she's just weak and, and whatever. It's just it's it's a bummer um, because and, it, and, it, and, it, and it, I love that the doc came out now 
because of the doubters of Simone saying, oh, well, you know, her spot needs to go to someone else. She doesn't even want to come. She doesn't, she just doesn't want to lose. Like you really honestly think that she's trained for the last five years for this Olympics and her whole life to be the greatest Olympian, you know, the greatest gymnast ever that she's just going to pull out, like just, and that's it. Like it's just the, 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 the uneducation on mental health is out there and is, and, and is um, sad sometimes. And so it's nice to, to sort of share with people how athletes feel or how an athlete felt. Um, Cause those are two female individual sport athletes, um, how they grow up, how they, how they train, how they think um, on a, you know, to get to that level. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, take me through it, though, because you are given permission by a woman who loves and supports you to look at something differently, to undo your patterns and your training and the brainwashing. She says, you don't have to do this. And now in retrospect, through analysis of all of this, sharing it, introspection, you can say, okay, that was me taking care of myself. But Marty Fish, who's walking away from his training in that match with Federer is doing how much I'm a coward. I'm a loser. I'm a quitter. I'm judging myself here. I can't forgive myself. Like you could not have arrived at forgiveness immediately, no matter how much you wanted the relief of forgiving yourself for being able to break down there. No, um, no. I mean, look, I, I, you know, two parts to that, right? Like first I was in such a bad place, um, uh, uh, sort of mental health wise that I was afraid for my own safety. I was afraid for safety of those around me. Um, I don't own a gun. I don't, you know, and, and so, but like, I was hoping that I, I was in such a bad place. I was hoping that I wasn't going to hurt myself or someone close to me. Like that's how bad I was. So I was like, either I was going to end up in a ditch without a support system that I had, um, or I was going to get help because of the support system that I had. And, um, and so that, that was the first part was just that I was in such a bad place mentally that I just didn't care at that, at that particular point. Now, months down the road, when you, you know, when you get the therapy and the medication and you start, you know, sort of learning about what this is and, and how you can beat it and how to beat it every day and how to deal with it. Um, you start going, well, well, shit, like that would have been kind of cool to play that match, you know? And again, like I didn't have anyone, the only, the only stuff that I had really was like, my mom would go, what do I tell my friends? Like, are you still playing? Like, are you not playing anymore? And I'm like, I don't know about your friends, mom. Like I couldn't really care less what they think right now, you know, kind of thing. And that was sort of the I don't know if it's pressure, but that was sort of the the stuff that I would get. Um, and my mom's the greatest. She she drove me to every tournament I could possibly imagine. And again, like I've said it three times now, I had unbelievable parents to be able to do this kind of thing. I know that I just think I'm just saying that just to say it, but it's got a, a lot to do with how I ended up, how comfortable I am talking about it now um, because of 
because of them. And, and, and so it's, it's great yeah, though, Marty, go, it's great that you can speak of it with gratitude and forgiveness, right? Like because of the pushing, it'd be real easy to see that the imprinting was from the pushing of tennis parents. Like the tennis parents are quote unquote the worst. So you've gone out of your way to not blame them that you chose this path and you stayed on this path and they did the best that they could. That's loving and forgiving because this was a tennis family, right? Like you, you couldn't have yeah. done it without them, but you also, how much choice did you have, but to do it once you were in it, because this is the obsessive mindset that's, that devours the young in that sport. It's a great question because I, I yes, I grew up in a tennis family. My father went to the U S open before I was born as a fan. Um, so imagine, imagine his birthday is over Labor Day weekend every year. Imagine his son, um, uh, uh, you know, I have a son now. I couldn't imagine, you know, I, I have a love for golf. I have a, you know, and like, I couldn't imagine watching my son, like on my birthday, win the, you know, or lead the masters in the third round, you know, like imagine play, play that. Play Federer like, at the U.S. Open. Now we've got to call dad, right? We've got to call dad. What are you going to explain to your friends that this, our dream because that was the biggest, right? That was you. Your breaking point, untold breaking point, is arriving at your dreams and turning around. Yeah, and and making that call that hey, I'm not going to play. Making that call of of I don't even know if I can't even remember if I made the call or not. To be honest, but look, I mean, they were supportive. They would have been supportive anyways. But yes, that was the culmination of all of our hard work. I mean, my my, we all gave up a lot to get to where I was. I, I mentioned my parents took out a second mortgage on their home. The first thing I did when I made money was buy them a car, each one of them, just because I, I that was the only, I don't know, I was the way I could pay it back. Maybe, um, uh, uh my sister went to university, uh, Florida state. She played tennis at Florida state. Um, uh, she had to live in the shadow of her big brother of, uh, of, you know, of playing and, and why wasn't she any good or better than she was? Um, and, and carving out her own path. So like, it's not just, we had an awesome family and it's not, and it's not just, um, it wasn't, uh, uh, just like, Hey, Marty's, my brother's playing tennis or my son's playing tennis. It was like, we're all a part of this. Um, and I, I made sure that, that they were, that we won and we lost when we were all, we were all a team. Um, and that was, I maybe the way to hold it off as long as I did um, to make it feel like I wasn't um, alone. Um, I, I, you know, I made my, my coaches and my physio Christian um, Lacasio, who's a, you know, just a, a total saint as well. And, and family basically um, uh, uh, I made them, uh, I enabled them to, to, to feel like they were part of the process and they were, um, we, we won and we lost and that, that maybe held me off, um, for as long as it did. Last question. Are you grateful now? And would you do it all again? If the pain and breaking point, I imagine in some pain, uh, some ways was rock bottom and low point as well. If you're going to be a harm to yourself and others are you grateful for having experienced it uh yes because um because a tennis gave me an incredible life um it gave me um it gave me some incredible memories it gave me something to where i was um you know excelled at really good at um and now it's given me for for the downfalls that I've had, it's given me this platform to be able to be open and vulnerable with uh, 
with people that will watch this that have never heard of me um, and may be struggling with a similar issue. And it's something that I've taken on now um, and been very comfortable and open with um, to help others, to to give others a success story um, that they can lean on. And if it helps even a little bit, I thought if I do this documentary um, and we filmed the doc in 2018, um, and, and it's just funny how it came out at this time when it seems like this is the perfect time for people. Tyson Fury winning the heavyweight title, you know, keeping the heavyweight title and talking about his mental health after. I mean, clearly this is not a thing where it's like, are you tough enough uh, uh, to, to have, you know, mental health issues or not? Clearly Tyson Fury is pretty, pretty damn tough. Oh, but um, it, ma it makes so much sense, though, Marty, the way that he tells the story and the way that you tell the story. If I arrive at my dreams and it's not at all what I imagined it to be and it doesn't actually make me happy to arrive at my dreams, where have I been identifying all my life and who am I? Like it's yeah. that that seems to be what happened with Tyson Fury because he started immediately eating and medicating because he's like, wait a minute. My family history leads me to this moment of heavyweight champion. How can this not be enough for me? And it and it ends up being the downfall, the rock, the rock bottom that you're sort of your dreams are a lie kind of, or, or that, that your dreams can make you happy. Isn't a truth. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I am out here opening up with my vulnerabilities, my mental health to help others understand that you can be at rock bottom and you can, you can then not only beat it, but, but flourish in it. And it can, it can not be something that defines you or it can be something that you want to define you and, and you want to show people that you are, look, I am tough and this did get me, but I did beat it and I do beat it every day. It's a cool story, Marty. Thank you for sharing it with us and thank you for sharing it with the audience. I encourage you if you have not seen it, it is a very unique look at how hard it is to get to some places in sports and the hard pipeline and the hard culture. I appreciate you. I could have watched another hour of it because I wanted to get into how the, how the machine devours you, how it imprints you a little more than you guys did, because I don't think a young person has a chance coming through that particular diamond mine uh, to be, to it's a real fight on all mental health, that sport, the way that it tests the mind. So I thank you for sharing your story with us, Marty. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'll send you some home videos. You can keep watching if you want. <laughs> My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.